Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 176. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by jiu-jitsu nutritionist extraordinaire, Mr. Matteo Capadaglio. Matteo, how are you doing? I want to say buonasera, everyone, just to start with Italian vibes. I'm doing amazing, <laughs> and I might speak Italian, but I live in Southern California, so I cannot really complain. I come from an area in Italy where right now there's uh, fog and temperature below the zero Celsius, while in California we never really had a winter, so I'm really living my best life. How are you doing? I am good myself. The weather's starting to improve here. So we just, uh, after a bit of a hibernation, we got out this weekend, had a great time. So looking forward to a little bit of sunshine, hopefully a nice summer, and definitely looking forward to this chat as well. You're someone that I've wanted to have on the podcast for a while, and I think we got a bunch of mutuals that actually work with you, but maybe let's just bring everyone up to speed. Why don't you give yourself a quick introduction just so everyone knows why you're here? Okay, yeah, for sure. My name is uh, Matteo Capodaglio. I was born and raised in the Veneto region, a few kilometers from the the city of uh, Venice, Venezia, in Italy. I guess my destiny, uh, my path was was already made when when I was born because my family works in the pharmacy business in Italy and that's why after high school I joined college to earn my PharmD. I tried to work as a pharmacist but I couldn't. I realized it was not what I wanted to do and so I joined university again at the University of Milan and I got my master's degree in nutrition. In the meanwhile, I also work as a student researcher at the only World Anti-Doping Agency accredited lab in Rome. I did research on uh, phase one metabolites of uh, synthetic cannabinoids. And uh, ultimately, uh, almost, I think four years ago, I decided to relocate to the United States of America here in Los Angeles, California, where I started my my company, Capo Nutrition. And here I work with uh, professional and amateur athletes try to achieve athletic performance in a sustainable way. Amazing, amazing. And this is a chat I've wanted to have for quite some time because I've always had a hard time really understanding nutrition. It is one of those things like we were talking about earlier before we started the call here. It's something where I think people want definitive answers. They want to know exactly what they should eat and what they shouldn't and when they should eat and when they shouldn't. But those answers vary tremendously from person to person. And I think that all of us, myself included, would benefit tremendously from having the advice of an actual expert nutritionist. So with that said, I know that you work with a ton of jujitsu athletes, particularly, and I'd like to maybe launch this off by just talking about that process. How do you help jujitsu athletes figure out a nutritional program that will work for them? The way I like to describe the process, just to use an allegory, you know, the idea that inspired me is the idea of the Italian tailor. So you can get a suit that is great at a mall, that it's, you know, a pre-made suit. You just need to find your, your size and that's going to work for some people. Some other people, they like to customize the, the process and 
have a unique experience. For this reason, they, they go to the, the tailor. When you go to a tailor, you create this uh, unique bond with the person where the tailor, yeah, for sure, measures your, your body, so knows how big is your chest, how big, how wide are your hips. But also, you'll talk to your tailor about your preferences, about your expectation about the suit. And that is the same thing that I try to do with my athletes, but both professional and amateur. So at the beginning, we do an anamnesis. We try to see what is the starting point, what we want to accomplish, how much time we have to accomplish certain goals. And then once I gather all my data, the training, the training schedule, I have an idea of how much they're recovering. I work on building an initial plan. Once the initial plan is made, I have regular follow-ups with the athlete and I customize that. So by the time we get closer to the competition, we have protocol that's unique, uniquely structured on the athlete, physiological, but also psychological needs. Because food is not just numbers, it's not just calories and macronutrients, it's also a social moment, especially in our growing, being born and raised in Italy, food for us is way more than just uh, macronutrients. So for some people, pasta is a good way to, to have a high carbohydrate intake. Maybe other people from Asia, they'll prefer rice. So my goal is to put together what we define as more scientific. So the numbers, the macros, the calories, but also the personal preference. So that's, I guess, these are the, the pillars of my work with the athletes. I love that idea of taking a tailored approach to nutrition because this is something that I personally have had challenges with when working with nutritionists. Now, maybe before we get into this, correct me if I'm wrong, but nutritionist is not really like a registered or licensed term, right? I Correct me if I'm wrong, but can't anyone just call themselves a nutritionist if they want to? Depending on the place where you're living, in the state of California, yes, it is like that. It is different from the registered dietitian, where the registered dietitian can actually work to treat a disease through uh, nutrition therapy. Yes, but then it depends really on where you live. I see. I see. I remember when I was really focusing on trying to build muscle a long time ago, I sought out a really reputed trainer who put me on a nutrition regimen. And it definitely was not the tailored approach that you described. It was definitely more of a one size fits all approach, really without consulting me in any meaningful way. She just scribbled on a piece of paper what I need to eat going forward. And it was a pretty plain and bland and boring diet. And I did it. And of course, I didn't enjoy it. (laughs) And I also didn't get the results that I wanted. So eventually, I just discontinued service with her. And that kind of soured me on the whole nutritionist experiment. But I think what you're describing sounds like a much more viable and useful approach where you really take into account the differences in people's physiology, in their diets, and also in their culture, in their preferences. And I really appreciate that you brought that up because when you think of going on an athletic diet, you normally think of, okay, I'm going to eat nothing but lean chicken and salad for the rest of my life. And that's usually a big turnoff to people. And I think probably leads people to avoid connecting with a nutritionist because they're worried that they're just going to be miserable for the rest of their lives as far as food is concerned. But you bring up a really good example that a good nutritionist is going to tailor their approach around people's lives because you're right. Food is an important part of our social and cultural experience, and you can't just ignore it or discard it or prescribe a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess you're interviewing me, you're asking questions, but I want to ask you a question, Steve. So sure thing. What is the first factor, the first reason of a success of a nutrition plan? Why a nutrition plan is good for an athlete? What do you think it is? Really good question. And I'm probably going to have to turn this around and say it depends to some capacity because I don't think, like you said earlier, everyone can prescribe a one size fits all solution. I mean, as myself, I don't compete professionally. My goals when it comes to jujitsu or really any fitness routine is I want to be healthy. I want to be in shape. 
I want to improve the quality of my life. I'm not really looking to rack up any gold medals. I'm not really looking for six-pack abs. I just want to be in good shape, and I want to be able to do the things that I want to do, especially as an older person continually and rapidly getting older every day. (laughs) You know, Uh, those are the things for me that matter. But I can imagine that with some of your clients, they have very specific, shorter term, more targeted goals. Like they're trying to ramp up towards a competition. They have weight that they want to cut. They probably have performance objectives they want to say. So I would presume that the first thing that you have to do is sit everyone down and define what those goals are because they could be radically different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But there's one element that can be shared, but all the winning nutrition plan, and that is adherence. So the first thing we want to accomplish, we want to have when we start working with an athlete, it doesn't matter if it's the amateur, the weekend warrior, or if it is a ADCC gold medal contender, it's adherence. Because if we don't have that, and that's what you, you told me about your past experience with nutrition, it doesn't matter how good the plan is, it's not going to be followed by by our athlete and if it's not followed then there there're not going to be results so that's the first thing we're aiming to reach yeah that makes a ton of sense and i find that probably especially when it comes to diet adherence is probably one of the most challenging things i mean people they don't like having restrictions put on their food and to some people it's not that important or perhaps their competitive and athletic goals are so important to them that they're willing to make those sacrifices but for a lot of people it's very very hard to lock themselves down on a a food routine especially if it takes out the things in life that they really enjoy so i presume that a big part of your plan is like you said coming up with routines that people can live with and that they can adhere to over the long run yeah absolutely now if your routine is having uh, fast food the three times a day then obviously like we have a problem because definitely that's i mean even if it's sustainable for you it's not compatible with a healthy eating style but you know from eating just fast food to have just plain chicken and rice there's an abyss in in the middle there's an ocean and we need to find that sweet spot in that ocean where we can have a wide range of foods and you know still have the right macronutrients and calories to to reach our goals Mm -hmm. absolutely so i know that everything that you do is very tailored to individuals but Are there any broad strokes we can paint about nutrition in general? I mean, of course, when I went to school, I don't know about other countries, but in Canada, we had a certain food group structure that we were taught about, which since has been kind of turned upside down because it turns out it actually wasn't entirely correct. And I think that for a lot of people, they have hard times getting straight answers about nutrition or really understanding what they should or shouldn't put into their bodies or in what moderation. I'd love to know just in general, what does a good diet look like? Yeah, well, the first thing is not even food related, but it's more water related. I realize a lot of people don't drink enough water. They don't hydrate enough. And there's a lot of research and then probably we're going to get into the making weight and weight cut process. If you're even slightly dehydrated, your mental and physical performance will, will drop significantly. So the first thing you want to make sure is that you drink enough water. And that varies from person to person. Obviously, like you live in Vancouver. So what you need to drink during the winter is definitely less than what a Florida jiu-jitsu player needs to drink during the winter. But that's the first thing I will say. You need to drink enough water and you need to replace the electrolytes. So we know that the excess of salt coming from especially uh, super processed foods is related to cardiovascular disease. But also that's a recommendation. That's something we can say about the, you know, bigger population. But when it comes to specifically to athletes, if we are sweating a lot, we're also losing sodium. So we cannot get rid of sodium in our food, especially if we don't don't eat uh, ultra processed food. So that's the first thing. Other than hydration, I believe... 
we need to incorporate fruits and veggies eating routine. And I mean, they say just to make it super easy for everyone, they say eat the rainbow because, you know, different type of vegetables and fruit bring different types of vitamin. So that's definitely something worth mentioning for for the Brazilian jiu-jitsu population. And besides the performance aspect, it is important that we eat enough fiber also for longevity perspective because we know that having a wide range of fibers in our diet it's uh, positively correlated to a vast number of species of good bacteria in our gut and that is as being shown there's very very strong uh, scientific evidence on a longevity perspective that can decrease the incidence of uh, tumors for example, colon cancer. So, I mean, we're not doing this, like this podcast is made for the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu population and most people are interested in just the performance aspect, but you don't want to eat in a way that you can win your gold medal today, but in 20 years from now, you have to deal with the, the consequences of unbalanced eating while you were competing. So it's also important to eat food that's gonna pay dividends when it comes to our longevity as athletes first and, you know, people in the long run. So a good amount of fruits and vegetables is important. It is important to have a, a food first approach, in my opinion. So we don't want to rely on supplements before having the right amount of foods, even though supplements are a good way to, to shorten recovery. And uh, I mean, I believe we can talk about it later, but I believe there's a, a very limited amount of number of supplements that are effective for the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athletes. And a lot of them, on the other end, they just have very good marketing, but they're not backed by science. And... Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as MMA, because I work a lot in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I work a lot with the MMA athletes as well. It is a sport that's fueled by carbohydrates. So for the vast majority of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu players, it is important to eat an adequate amount of carbohydrates. I don't believe ketogenic diet is the key to performance in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, okay? So I will say, if you ask me about like the basics of nutrition, these are the first three things that come to my mind. Right, makes a lot of sense. And I really like that you touched on the, the supplement thing. And I admit willingly that I have been duped by this before. You know, it wasn't until I was much into my later years that I actually learned just how unregulated the supplement industry is and how so many of the supplements out there really don't have any meaningful evidence behind their usefulness. It's like you said, it's just marketing. And so that's where an expert like yourself can really actually help people out, not just in terms of having a more effective routine, but also in terms of saving money because supplements are not cheap. And like you said, for a lot of them, they're probably not going to move the needle on it, anything in a meaningful way. In terms of food, I also appreciate the food first approach that you brought up. I think that especially in this day and age when everyone is so busy, it's very easy to hear things like, well, I need to get more fiber in my diet and just think, well, maybe I'll just take a bunch of supplements. But the problem with that, of course, like you said, is that you're always going to be better off actually getting those nutrients from real food, if possible. Why is it, if you wouldn't mind explaining, because <laughs> this is a conversation I'm often having with my kid now. Why is it that it's better to get those nutrients through real food than it is to get them from like less desirable sources like supplements, for instance? So I believe getting the, the nutrients uh, from food first rather than supplement is good. First of all, because fruit and veggies are richer in water. So, you know, they give you a better hydration because they make you feel more full. So if you add a bowl of, uh, of vegetables or a bowl of fruit instead of uh, having a couple of pills, it will make you feel better. It will make your stomach feel feel more full. But uh, one thing that is relatively new in the jiu-jitsu community is also the anti-doping. So a lot of athletes, not just in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but in the UFC, but even at a collegiate level, 
have tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs, and then has been proven that there was no will on their hand to actually use doping. But instead, because the the supplement industry is not really is not as regulated as the food and the let's say pharmaceutical industry by the FDA, then it has been proven that a lot of supplements are they might contain performance enhancing drugs. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that every supplement includes a performance enhancing drugs. I'm just saying that uh, looking at the statistics, there's the chance. Now, I mean, I guess we're gonna, we're gonna open another chapter. So what should I do if I am a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athlete, if I'm a grappler, if I'm NCAA wrestler, and I still want to include supplements in my diet, after eating properly, that's the main thing. After I eat properly, after I hydrate properly, after I recover properly, I also want to maximize my performance through the use of safe supplements. Now, the USADA that's been very, very active with the, with the UFC and now is involved even in with the IBJJF says in its website that the gold standard when it comes to third-party testing companies for supplements, is uh, NSF certified for sports. So if we Google NSF certified for sports, we will get into a portal where we can find all the supplements that are third-party tested, including the, the batch, the production batch. Now, if an athlete will ever pop for a performance-enhancing drug, but the supplement falls within this uh, this list and it's it is proven that you know there's no will i guess the the sanction will be waived or will be way smaller i'm not really familiar with the whole arbitration process when something like that happens but it's a huge insurance so we're taking a supplement that has been tested by a company whose only goal is to find performance enhancing drugs in the products that are sent to it. So NSF, there are also other companies, Inform Choice, Inform Sports. I don't remember all of them, to be honest, <laughs> but, but I'm sure that the USADA website says that NSF is the gold standard. So that's... You know, personally, I don't compete. I'm never gonna gonna win awards as black belt, but I like to use third-party tested supplement for my for my own safety. Not just because, like, this goes besides failing a drug test. It's for our, I believe, overall overall health. You know, that's a really important thing to bring up too, which is that supplements are not necessarily harmless. You can take supplements that might sound like they're going to be harmless, but actually just because of the massive concentrated doses of what you're taking, they can actually have negative side effects. So it is important to think about what you're taking in terms of supplements and to research and make sure that they're, they're valid supplements, that they're properly tested, like you said. On that note, you had talked earlier about supplements that might actually make sense, and you'd said that most supplements you don't recommend, in the case of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at least. What are some of the things that might actually be helpful to people when it comes to being a jiu-jitsu athlete. Do you have an idea what's the most studied supplement uh, in scientific literature in sports nutrition? I would guess either protein or creatine. Yeah, it's creatine, exactly. So the International Society of Sports Nutrition have published years ago, but I think they also work on on that first version and they publish a new one, Position Stand on Creatine, where they suggest uh, to utilize a creatine monohydrate, which is the most studied supplement in the market. And I mean, you know, in this podcast, we're talking about guidelines. So we're not suggesting anyone to take any supplement before consulting with the physician, with the nutritionist, or with the dietitian. These are just, uh, this is just an informal talk. Absolutely. You should always consult again with your tailor and see if, if that will fit your eating style. But yeah, the International Society of Sports and Nutrition has a very strong position about creatine monohydrate, which is also the cheapest form of creatine in the market. I mean, whey protein in general, it has been studied a lot. There have been, because the guidelines, they they suggest people to eat between 
0.8 to 1 gram of protein per kilo of body mass. And that's maybe okay for people they don't do sports but for people like the brazilian jiu-jitsu even enthusiasts you don't need to be a disease champion that trains a couple of times per day maybe it's hard to have the right protein intake so whey protein can be a way to increase that or even essential amino acids so we know that a protein is a wall the essential amino acids are the bricks that make the wall so in in certain situation we can also supplement with essential aminos there's carbohydrate supplements maltodextrin cyclodextrin that can work for brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes i believe they're beneficial in certain cases there's some evidence around uh, caffeine which i mean i'm italian so i prefer having my espresso as you can imagine <laughs> rather than taking uh, taking a pill is way more delicious part of my everyday routine but yeah these are i guess the big uh, there's some evidence around beta alanine which is precursor of a molecule called carnosine which can buffer the lactic buildup during our our training so yeah that's that's something that has been studied for a while but Again, it's really some people don't don't like take beta alanine because it can give you some you know some side effects like tingling that it's not appreciated like some people don't don't really like the feeling. But yeah, I believe like yeah, a handful of supplements are helpful. There's a bunch of uh, of other supplements that I I believe either they they don't work or they can be even detrimental for both performance and uh, longevity. Right. So, yeah, I would like to stay, for me, for my athletes, I like to use, you know, this handful of supplements, like keep it super, super simple. Maybe there's something else, so Omega, that I can use, but that's that's pretty much it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it sounds like the main takeaway is to focus on meeting your dietary needs with real food first and foremost, and then if supplements are required to consult a doctor or a dietitian and make sure that it's actually something that's going to be helpful to you. Is that a, a fair enough recap? Yeah, absolutely. Also, what I push people to do is to regularly check your body, check your blood, and you know kind of track these parameters for example like some people like to to supplement massively with vitamin d which in some cases can be beneficial but in other cases especially if the serum levels of vitamin d's are high enough there's not really a reason to do it so one of my mentors he lives in in the united kingdom used to say why guess when you can check so the first thing is regularly check your body And then with that data, plus the help of a professional, uh, decide what is right for you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Makes sense. Something I'd also like to expand upon is just the timing of eating and drinking, for instance. You talked earlier about just general good guidelines for how much water you should drink, how much food you should eat, what types of food. But what about the timing of it? If we tell people you have to drink a certain amount of water per day, does it make a difference when they drink it or how they drink it? And similarly with food, do you concern yourself with the timing of meals, when you eat, how much you should eat at one go? I would just like to expand upon the when behind nutrition and not just what, if possible. Yes, absolutely, Steve. So yeah, that's actually, that's a very good question because we, we have a lot of uh, false myths regarding nutrition in this, in this aspect. So for example, oh, you shouldn't eat carbs after six. Have you ever heard of that? I have definitely heard that one before. Okay. Well, so there's a thing. This is something that I will say it's universal. The biggest variable that will change the way you eat during a day is when you train that changes the cards on the table. So if you're doing a competition class at 6 p.m. and you finish at 8 p.m., I don't care that you sit at your table at 9.30 p.m. You're going to have your carbs, your pasta, your sweet potatoes, your, your rice at 9.30. And I promise you, you will not gain, I mean, depending on how much you eat, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt your, your body composition. So for all the athletes listening, the biggest variable is your training time, you know? So that is the main thing. So if, 
we're training early in the morning, there's there's no point of recharging late at night because we will need that energy closer to the training session, you know. So that's one of the, I guess, one of the few absolute things that I can say about sports nutrition. Training time is the biggest variable when deciding what to eat and when to eat it. Got it. What about water? Does the time or the amount of water you intake in one sitting make a difference? Or is it just a matter of just to make sure you get enough during the day? I mean, overall, you just want to have enough during the whole day. We know that, I mean, there's some research suggesting that there's a center temperature at which the water is better absorbed, but it's complicated. I will say we want to make sure that we get into the training session properly hydrated. And I mean, one of the way to assess good hydration is just not feeling thirsty, having clear urine. And uh, we want to drink throughout the training session, because especially if it's longer training sessions, sometimes I'm a guest at Gracie Baja Northridge with uh, Homolo Barral and, uh, you know, all those beasts, Gabriel Arges, uh, Victor Silverio. There's no way you can go through a session like that without drinking. And then once you're done, you also want to replenish those liquids that you just lost during the training session. And this, again, we're giving overall guidelines that need to customize for each athlete, but water is not necessarily, it's not always enough. We want to mix water with the electrolytes. So sodium, potassium, magnesium, and like on these, there are like a lot of supplements in the market that help us doing it. So I will definitely say if you're training, make sure you get to the training session hydrated, you keep hydration throughout the whole session, and then you replenish the liquid that you lost right after you're done with the training session. Right, right. And it's probably also worth pointing out that a lot of those electrolyte supplements are loaded with sugar, which is an important consideration too. I've heard a lot of people suggest, oh, just drink Gatorade or something, which I guess has some of the things you want in it, but you also have to be mindful of the amount of sugar they get packed into those drinks sometimes. Yeah, I mean, sugar is another tricky thing because it's been demonized a lot by people, but sugar is also, is also important. It's a carbohydrate for, so especially for the, the super active athletes, it is part of the diet. Now, like we can discriminate between types of simple carbs, but uh, for example, to enhance recovery, it has been proven that uh, a mix of different carbohydrates, it is helpful. Now, the problem is the excess of sugar. So if the sugar that we get through drinks, it adds up to the one that we have on the diet and exceeds our uh, what we should have on the day, then it becomes a problem. But, uh, you know, having defined quantities of sugars, it's beneficial actually for performance. It needs to be put into in context, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that kind of segues into something I would love to explore, which is cheating on the diet. Now, I have seen people do this in numerous different ways. I've seen people who try to generally eat healthy all day, every day, but maybe they allow themselves one small cheat every day. I've also seen people who are absolutely regimented on their diet for the entire week, but maybe they've got a cheat day once a week. And I've also seen people who just flat out refuse to cheat at all, and they never, ever eat anything unhealthy. What are your thoughts on this, on the, the process of cheating? Do you believe in, in cheat days? Are those a good idea to help keep people on the wagon long term or do they do harm? I would love to know your thoughts on how to let people cheat on the diet if they want to or if they feel they need to. Is that something that there's a, a best practice around? Yeah, so the first thing I believe we shouldn't we should get rid of the word cheat day or cheat meal because it has like kind of a punitive connotation. So when we say cheat is something, you know, bad, because in other aspects of life, cheating is bad. I prefer to call those meals as uh, program specific, like some program meals. So we know exactly how much we're eating and we can put that in the context of our, of our all uh, meal programming throughout the week. So I believe having a free meal, that's the word that I would like to use, a free meal, it is compatible. Now, it depends how big is the free meal, because let's say you have 100 kilocalorie 
deficit every day in your week, so you have a, a 600 calorie deficit, then you get to the seventh day and you have uh, one of those epic The Rock style cheat meals, then probably you're, you're going to have, I don't know, three, four thousand calories on just one meal. And that's going to exceed the, the caloric deficit that you had in the past uh, six days. So on a net, you're going to have hypercaloric diet and you, you might gain weight from that cheat meal. But if you, if you program, if you do the, the math, you can just find the free meal that fits your, you know, your, your eating regimen. You know, one of the favorites, my athlete's favorite is pizza. So it's okay to have absolutely. If you want to have a pizza, that's absolutely okay. You just don't want to have five pizzas as a, <laughs> as, a, as a free meal. And there are people that can eat five pizzas. So I'm just saying. I have had out of control cheat days in the past. I used to do this routine where I would be completely clean in my diet for the entire week. But then I would have a free day. I suppose you could call it on the weekends. And I am pretty certain I was adding more calories back in than I was cutting out during the week. So it is something that I think, like you said, you have to be mindful mindful of unrestricted <laughs> diets where you just go totally insane on one day. I can imagine that could become a problem. Yeah, you know, it's just putting things in perspective. Now, also, I believe that you shouldn't necessarily have the, the free meal on the day off. You could, you could also have it on a day on, you know. Let's say you want to have a bigger dish of pasta as a free meal. I don't know, you want to have a carbonara? which is one of my favorite, to be honest with you. Maybe you can have it in a day after after your, your conditioning session. So after your conditioning session, your glycogen, your muscle and liver glycogen is going to be totally depleted. So all those nutrients, maybe they're going to go preferentially to restore that glycogen. So I like to have, you know, a more dynamic, more fluid vision of nutrition rather than just say, oh, all week you need to be orthodox and then on the weekend it's going to be party time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because that kind of fights the idea of sustainability where basically your week is going to suck and then your weekend is going to be like out of control, you know? I don't, you know, I don't feel like that's the recipe for adherence to, to a plan. It's... It's better to wake up and knowing that you have certain things to do, but it's not gonna be it's not gonna be a burden. So and then obviously like they're not gonna be excesses in one way or another. So you're not gonna starve, but also you're not gonna you're not gonna have a hot dog contest in your meal plan. Makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, you talked about weight cutting, and I think that dropping weight, moving down weight classes, and of course, cutting weight for competition is something that probably most competitors listening to this podcast are going to be wanting to hear about. What are your thoughts on some of the the best practices or maybe good ideas if you fall into one of these camps where, I mean, I guess they're two different situations, but one situation being you're trying to move down weight classes Versus the other being you have a target weight class, but you just need to temporarily lose weight and then put it back on again to, to satisfy the scale. Do you have any good advice on how to deal with these particular situations? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing, it's super easy. And that's another like absolute concept that I want to share with the audience is that if you have to weigh in and you compete right after your, your weigh-ins, like it happens with the color belt in jiu-jitsu, you shouldn't cut weight. You shouldn't deplete. You shouldn't get on the scales dehydrated because I promise you, there's no way your performance dehydrated is going to be nearly close to your normal performance when you're properly hydrated. Plus, you can incur in more injuries if you're dehydrated. So if you cannot make a weight class, you just move up. Like a lot of people did it even in, in other sports, in MMA, and uh, that pays dividends. You don't want to create your career. You don't want to build your career by competing in a weight class where you, you don't belong. That's like, you know, super easy, super basic, but uh, a lot of people don't, don't get it. And then, you know, you see people preparing for months for a competition. They fight the first time against the scales, but then there's another fight. 
their first one on the mat. And uh, all this preparation can be erased by just competing in a, in a dehydration status. So uh, that's my biggest takeaway message. That makes a lot of sense. What about moving down weight classes, though? I mean, let's say, for example, that I feel like I'm just packing too much weight. I want to maybe drop one or two weight classes. How do you guide people through that process of trying to basically lean out and move down? Yeah, you need to understand what's the starting point. So, I mean, again, that's why it's important to have support. An athlete needs to have support. Uh, You need to understand how much fat mass you have, how much lean mass you have. Like one of the best way to assess these these values are is a DEXA scan or a bot pot. Those are the two, two type of testing that can help us understand how much body fat and lean mass we have. And then based on that, we can understand if we can drop a weight class just by getting rid of body fat or if to move down a weight class, we also need to lose lean mass because some people, they might just, you know, decide to do that. And you can lose limas through a specific type of uh, training but it's it's gonna take time so when you want to drop down a weight class you need to work on it for an amount of time that is proportional to the the amount of weight you want to drop makes sense and like you said the type of weight you're trying to lose makes a difference let's say it's not lean mass let's say maybe you're just carrying an extra 10 pounds that you don't want to be carrying just fat or whatever you know you're in otherwise pretty decent shape but you feel like you could get a bit leaner and it would help you out and you'd probably be better for it where do you begin on a journey like that how do you help someone guide to that kind of situation I mean, first of all, you need to understand how much the person is eating. So it's good to every person can do it. You can create your own food diary and you can have an estimate of uh, how much calories you're eating, how much macronutrients you're eating. And also you need to write down your, your training schedule. So you have an idea. It's very hard to estimate, but you can have an idea of how much you're burning. And then, I mean, this is like pretty basic concept you need to create a caloric deficit to start losing weight i mean that's where the help of a professional is important because the caloric deficit can be wide can be a one percent caloric deficit can be 30 percent 40 percent caloric deficit you see the craziest thing in this sport but if you try to rush too much to get to your goals and you create a caloric deficit that is too big your body might be responding for the first week or two, but then can get in like starvation mode, something like that. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, where basically your body kind of starts to shut itself down because it's things it has to focus on surviving because it's not getting the calories and the nutrients it needs. Yeah, exactly. So it is about finding a caloric deficit that works. And when I talk about caloric deficit, I don't talk about... Like, I'm not trying to have my athletes on a caloric deficit constantly every day, but you just need to understand the training schedule. So there might be days where the the aim is competition. So we want to perform where we probably want to have a hypercaloric plan. And some other days that I, I call adaptation days where performance is not crucial. So we can sacrifice a little bit of that and having a bigger caloric deficit. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but it is important that if you're preparing a competition, you don't go to competition classes as you're starving, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Because then your jujitsu will not evolve. You'll be just struggling during the, the whole class and you will not know how much you can push. But there are other sessions, like conditioning session or, I don't know, drilling session, when it's doable to deal with the caloric restriction. Definitely, definitely. Well, I guess I have one last thing that I want to pick your brain about, and that is to dig into just being realistic here. And you talked earlier about how one of the most important things about any sort of fitness routine is something that is sustainable and that the athlete or that I guess the hobbyist as well will adhere to. That's more important than anything else, right? Because the best plan in the world isn't going to work if the person doesn't stick to it. But there's also some factors beyond just willpower that dictate whether or not a person can live on a plan like this. And I would talk more about just realistic things like budget or time. You know, I know that I would be better off if I ate nothing but 
absolutely wonderful, perfect, nutritious food. And I also know that you can make that food really delicious if you're good at meal prep and preparation. But good food, and by good food, I mean um, food that is good for you, can often be very expensive, right? A lot of the time, the reason that people eat garbage isn't always just because they love garbage food. A lot of it can be budgetary. And we work in a sport where a lot of athletes are not exactly rolling in the dough. So they have to make dollar cost considerations when it comes to choosing what food to buy. And beyond that, there's just the time constraint, right? I would love to have a paid chef who could prep all my meals for me. And at a certain level, athletes will have that. But again, tying it back to jujitsu, most jujitsu athletes aren't rolling in the money here. So that means that they're probably going to have to prep the food themselves. And if it comes down to that, then you have time constraints because people have, you know, they have lives, they have mat time obligations they have to make. Maybe they have jobs they have to do, you know, in order to pay the bills, they've got to be teaching or doing privates. So the main problem that I see beyond just willpower when it comes to a good nutritional regimen is how do you do this in a way that people can afford and the people can actually invest the time into adhering to because sometimes willpower isn't the only variable. So I'd love to get your feelings on that and whether you have any ideas for how to meet time and budget considerations when it comes to putting a plan in place for an athlete. Yeah, I mean, that's something I discuss with the with the athlete before we, we start. To be super honest with you, I never had big issues in this regard in the sense that unless an athlete specifically asks, I'm not trying to to incorporate any, you know, crazy, crazy expensive food. Like I will never give you a truffle pasta or truffle risotto, (laughs) you know, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, since I, I relocated from Italy where the cost of living is way lower, it was, it was pretty hard for myself at the beginning to eat, uh, let's say correctly or the way I think it is correct. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to push any, <laughs> any, any chain, any, any supermarket, but uh, I found like going to Costco super helpful, to be honest with you, because you can get a lot of good food for, I believe, what is a reasonable amount. So for all the athletes in the, in the US, I believe that is a good option. And uh, yeah, I will say, I will say that. And program it's important so make sure that you you don't waste any food because if you properly create a shopping list you will not buy extra food and i I promise you that in the first world countries a big part of the food we buy with our grocery gets thrown away i don't know if that's also applicable to the brazilian jiu-jitsu population but i believe programming will save us a lot of money so Instead of eating out, maybe having maybe higher quality food, but at home, that's probably one of the my go tos when it comes to an athlete at the beginning of uh, of the career. Yeah, and then utilizing these, uh, you know, super ultra big uh, American stores where you can get decent quality food at a reasonable price. And I'm telling you because uh, now as an Italian. No, not as an Italian, like it's not part of being Italian, but I guess I found a sponsor when it comes to pasta. So I get a very, it's not a sponsor, but they send me, they send me pasta, you know? (laughs) Well, that is actually a good idea, which is seeking food sponsors. You know, every athlete out there in jujitsu is trying to get a ghee company to sponsor them or to get some other type of supplement company behind them. But honestly, there's probably a lot of food providers who can help cover your food bills. That's a really brilliant idea, which is to just seek out food sponsors. Yeah, now that I mentioned Costco, I'm expecting within five to ten minutes to the publication of the, this podcast to have like the, the CEO reaching out to me for a huge amount. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, so before I had this sponsor, this pasta or sponsor, let's call it. I mean, this, you know, they, they send me a lot of pasta, so I appreciate that. And they're the same guys that send it to Mikey Muzumachi, so I put them in touch. Before that, uh, I found pretty good uh, pasta at Costco again, like real Italian pasta di Gragnano, which is one of the highest quality for a very reasonable amount of price. While if you go to like a store down the street, it, it might be like, you know, 75% extra in terms of, uh, of the price. So buying big batches of food, it's, it's definitely a way to, to save money. 
Yeah, yeah. I really like the point you brought up about food waste as well. It's very easy if you're not paying attention to wind up accidentally throwing out a lot of food that you already paid for. And that's going to be a big problem if you're already worried about cost. And of course, you just don't want to be wasteful, right? So there's kind of another reason why it's a good idea to start scheduling out and keeping a food diary, because then you'll probably have a better understanding of what you actually need to buy. So you don't wind up throwing a bunch of it away. Yeah, for sure. We all know when I first moved out of my place uh, with my out of the reach of my mother for college <laughs> and I was doing my first grocery grocery shoppings, I was <laughs> I was buying the most unuseful foods <laughs> in the world and you will, will end up with, you know, $70 of bill for stuff that will last uh, one day and a half. Yeah. So, yeah, we all have been there. So that's that's a thing I'm ashamed of that. But uh, yes. so I suppose one other thing before we tie this up, any closing thoughts, anything you want to talk about or bring up here and suggest that we didn't get into already before we wrap the episode? Don't be afraid, guys. Don't be afraid of carbs because jujitsu is a carb fuel sport. I'm not trying to make an endorsement uh, to pasta, but if you don't like pasta, <laughs> that's fine. You can have rice. If you don't like rice, you can have potatoes, you can have uh, quinoa, you can have a uh, bulgur, couscous, but just don't be afraid of carbs. That's the basics of uh, performance in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming by, Matteo. If people want to check out your work or follow you or perhaps work directly with you, how do they get in contact with you? I have an Instagram account at uh, DR, like Dr. Capodaglio, my surname, so C-A-P-O. Usually when you type D-R-C-A-P-O, the rest comes out, so you don't have to struggle with the spelling of this <laughs> Italian surname. I'm working on my new website, but uh, I guess I'm not as skilled in the technology world as much as I am in the in the nutrition <laughs> world. So it's taking a little bit, but it's going to be online soon. Caponutrition.com. And I just started a new YouTube channel, Caponutrition, as well. So I'm looking forward to publish more recipes and you know, pasta, because uh, it's good to be Italian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put a link in the show notes so that if people want to check you out, they can just click right through the show notes and find you directly. But I do want to thank you sincerely for coming by here. And I suppose before we tie this up, I should probably actually plug our stuff as well. If you're a listener out there and you like the podcast, I can't recommend enough that you check out BJJ Mental Models Premium. We've got a ton of stuff on there, a massive ever-growing content library, over 30 hours of premium audio educational stuff on there. Just launched a, and finalized a new series with Rob Bernacki. There's one with Preet Mikkelsen. Uh, we've got some new ones coming up too that I'll be announcing shortly. So highly recommend you check it out. If you're a member, you also get access to our cool Discord community and I will help work with you directly, review your videos, give you some coaching as well as other people on the team helping you out too. Really great value. Can't recommend it enough and there's a free trial. So really nothing to lose. I'd check it out right now if I were you. Premium.bjj mentalmodels.com is where you go to get that free trial. So please do consider it. it supports the show, helps us keep the lights on and I greatly appreciate everyone there who supports us. So Matteo, thank you so much for coming by again. I really appreciated you swinging by. Great to talk nutrition. This is a topic I've wanted to dig into for quite a long time. Something that I think probably is a, a pretty quick win for people is to add a bit of emphasis on their nutrition and not just the time they spend training on the mats. Yeah, thank you for having me. And guys, the accent is something we cannot get rid of, but uh, I'm working on my English, so I'm more <laughs> and more proficient. You sound amazing, Matteo. Don't worry about it. You're great. Okay, so have a good night, and as we will say in Italian, uh, buonanotte. <laughs> Thank you, Matteo. And of course, to the listeners, same general idea for me as well. Thank you so much for the time and attention, and I'll talk to you next week. 